Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, February 7th, we're studying Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. Jesus names his 12 apostles and sends them out to proclaim the reign of God to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The instructions he gives them form the second great discourse from Jesus within the Gospel of St. Matthew, and we get the first half of that discourse today. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Danzer. Pastor Danzer serves as the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and the Chaplain for the International Center. Pastor Danzer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's great to be here. Pastor Danzer, as we get started this morning, give us some context. We're starting into this second big discourse of Jesus. Where have we been in the Gospel of Matthew leading up to it that'll help us dig into what Jesus says today? Sure. We had a number of healings, uh, as well as some questions uh, with the Pharisees. They're kind of tagging along. They're in the outskirts. Uh, but maybe one of the most important things is what we heard just before this text. I think it's it's so important. If it's all right, I'm going to actually read it. Because I think in a way it almost fits uh, with this first part, uh, the listing of the 12 disciples, uh, maybe more than it does with the previous chapter. Uh, starting at verse 35 of chapter 9, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. A little bit of a mixing of metaphors here by Jesus, so I guess it's all right. Uh, but these are kind of the two ways we talk about the church often. One, that it's uh, sheep with their shepherd, Jesus being the good shepherd, of course. And that it's a harvest uh, of uh, growing, uh, living, uh, uh, you know, wheat stalks that all form a great field together. Um, and this prayer has been on my heart a lot uh, since I just got here uh, to the International Center in St. Louis, uh, to this new position for me. Uh, but I left two wonderful churches in North Dakota who are now vacant. And this is the prayer that they have been praying and that I continue to pray for them too, that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest. It, it's baffling to us who want to just get right to work. And Jesus says, well, the most important thing to do is to remember it's not our harvest. It's not our work. It's not our doing that's going to accomplish anything anyway, uh, but it is the Lord's harvest. He loves it and cares for it even more than we do, and he'll see uh, that it gets taken care of. He'll see that the right men, uh, the right workers uh, for every situation get out to where they need to go, which leads us directly into now the Lord answering that prayer himself by calling to himself the 12 disciples, who will be the beginning of uh, the Office of the Holy Ministry that carries on even to this day. Let's jump right in then as Jesus answers the prayer that he just gave to his disciples here in Matthew chapter 10, beginning at the first verse. And he, Jesus, called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, no, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. 
and whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day for, of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. There's our text for today, Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. Pastor Danzer, as you said, Jesus starts by answering the prayer he just gave by naming 12. He calls 12 disciples. We've heard about disciples in the Gospel of Matthew already. That's who the Sermon on the Mount was directed to. We know he's got disciples. This is the first time that we see 12 particularly singled out, and even he calls them apostles. What's going on with this disciples becoming apostles? Sure. Disciples are students, hearers, learners of the word, uh, and there are more than just 12. There's the whole crowd surrounding them. But now he singles out these 12, and whether you want to say he gives them the name here or you, he gives the name later, uh, the Gospels don't bear it out the way we think about it, uh, and I think that's all right. In fact, this is the only place that Matthew uses the word apostle. But we might expect it to be found not here, but actually later, uh, especially at the end when Jesus, of course, says, go into all the world uh, and, and preach the gospel, uh, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Uh, but the word apostle simply means to be sent out. Uh, and so since Jesus is calling them here, he is sending them out only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, they, they get this name here. And, and they really form uh, a unique group of people. Uh, in the Bible, a few other people have the name apostle because just like disciple, it has kind of a generic use, just like the word servant does. Uh, not everyone might be called a deacon, but that word in Greek just means servant. Uh, the word apostle, likewise, can apply to almost anybody who gets sent for anything. Hey, go get my coffee. I suppose that's an apostle of sorts. Uh, but in the church, We've, we've really reserved this term for a, a select group of people, these 12, and then maybe just a couple others that kind of get added in later. One of them, we know why uh, we mentioned Judas, uh, and most of our listeners, of course, know how that story ends, sadly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we get to hear about the 12 apostles right here, uh, a singular group of people, unique, uh, with an essential office, and that's why taking a little bit of time to, to name them all, as, as maybe pedantic as that seems, is important right here in the center of the gospel. Before we look at those names, what, what makes the office of apostle unique and singular, Pastor Danzer? We probably have to go to Acts to find that, and, and that's when Peter stands up and says, we need to uh, give somebody the place of Judas now that that uh, seat has gone vacant. And he names in particular that they've been with uh, Jesus from the beginning, even from the preparatory ministry of John the Baptist. So I've been listening to this teaching, uh, been a, a witness to all the things that Jesus did while he was uh, walking among us, but then in particular able to be an eyewitness of the key event, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, and that in particular is what everyone is sent out to preach. Uh, and sent out to uh, proclaim in the end. Uh, and, and we get already what the effect of the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus is shown in this first sending here in the middle of Matthew. What, one more thought on that, too, that I'd like to, to have you talk a little bit about. Then, as we think about the apostle, that office is as unique, as you were saying, when we read these instructions here in Matthew chapter 10, 
where where are we going to say that these apply to this group particularly and not to the church at large or to the office of the holy ministry today and where are we going to see these instructions still applying to the church and the office of the ministry today i like that distinction um uh in some ways maybe there is no difference the effect of 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 going and preaching which is proclaiming as is kind of the main and first uh point named uh, is that amazing things happen, uh, that that people believe that the peace of God comes and, and is delivered to people and stays with them, or sadly, in some cases, is rejected. That all is going to happen even today in the preaching of pastors, and, and frankly, to a certain degree, with all Christians as they go out and share the Word of God. Uh, but, you know, as a pastor, I never saw uh, anyone raised from the dead in particular, and I and I didn't even cleanse any lepers or cast any demons or heal any sick people either. Um, sometimes we get to see those things amazingly, uh, and and at the last day we will see all of the preaching come to its ultimate fruition as everyone is raised from the dead, and those who believe in Christ Jesus, on whom His peace rests, uh, go to live with Him forever in eternal life. But uh, the apostles in particular, and, and those who, who, whom they sent out directly, uh, we see this in the, gospel, in the, in the book of Acts, uh, that these things happened in real time, that they accompanied their preaching in particular as a testimony to their eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. And while, of course, the Lord is not uh, boxed up and unable to do miracles in a miraculous and immediate way, he always retains that right. But we don't expect it uh, in our time in quite the same way that we see the apostles doing it, especially, again, in the book of Acts. Right, yeah, the the book of Acts, the letters of Paul are going to answer some of those questions a little more than, than Matthew chapter 10 is going to answer. And so I'd certainly direct everybody's listening to to take a look at some of those passages and and dig further in for, for answers. But Pastor Nears, that was a very helpful answer. So as you as you look then at the 12 who are named here, we could spend the whole time just talking about these 12, but that's not the, the purpose. But what's here in the ordering? The, I mean, this list doesn't seem random as the way that it's put together. What What do we draw from this list of apostles here? Yeah, uh, in particular, we start out with Peter. In fact, he even gets the number. We don't have first, second, third. We don't get a ranking all the way down, top 12. But first is Simon, who is called Peter. Uh, he is uh, always the spokesman, the front man, uh, the lead singer of the group, it seems. And usually that singing gets him in trouble. Our listeners are probably familiar with Peter always putting his foot in his mouth. On the other hand, it's something the Lord uh, admires in him, it seems. And of course, Peter is such a great example to us of the Lord's kindness, patience, forgiveness. Um, so his name does come first. Together with him, somebody who really doesn't seem to be that important in the course of the Gospels is Andrew. But Andrew is Peter's brother, and and we do get to hear, at least in one place, how Andrew uh, was instrumental in bringing Peter to know Jesus and to uh, follow him as a disciple. Uh, so he gets a place right there up with the number one guy, Peter. Next, we have James and John, these brothers, and Peter, James, and John always form the inner circle. They deserve to be up front. After that, the list gets a little less uh, uh, deliberate, you might say. Interesting, though, in the middle, which always has some kind of importance to uh, to Greek way of thinking, this chiastic structure, pretty close to the middle there is Matthew, the tax collector, who, of course, is the author of this gospel. And last of all, and this in this case, maybe we do have to say least of all, is Judas, who, spoiler alert, is the one who betrays Jesus. And and even a reminder, of course, nobody hears this story for the first time. Uh, Matthew knows that his hearers, as he wrote this gospel, uh, were knew the story well. They know the end. They know the characters even, maybe even personally. And uh, uh, Judas is the one who, uh, well, wait to the end of the gospel. You'll hear the whole story, right? Right. Yeah. The fact that Judas is named the betrayer here already uh, is a spoiler alert. That's how we would <laughs> that's how we would, would put it in today's language. But but you're right. This isn't the first time these people have heard this story. And it's not the last time they're going to read this story either. And so I think it's it's quite something that he's named the betrayer already. 
particularly when Jesus is selecting these 12. I mean, it, it reminds us that Jesus knows what's going on throughout the, the account, right? He's not, Judas isn't going to surprise him later by betraying, right? This is not only something Matthew knows, it's something that Jesus knows even in selecting him. And yet he he makes him one of the 12. And that's not a that's not a fake title either, right? I mean, I think there's, I, I don't know, can you help me draw some of those ideas out, Pastor Danzer? I think you're right. We can't say, you can't pull that sleight of hand where, where you say after the fact, well, I guess he wasn't really one of us, uh, you know, and forget everything. Uh, Jesus calls him an apostle. He has the office. Uh, Peter is right, at least in this point. He says, we have to fill that office. It's not a matter of of finding a real 12th guy because that guy proved to be a dud. Um, and uh, this is not the thing we want to focus on, I'm sure, but but it is a reminder that the Bible does teach that it is, in fact, possible for people to fall away from the faith. Uh, this is maybe a step farther and a reminder, sadly, also, that it is possible for those who are put into Christ's office as a preacher, uh, maybe even as an apostle and, and, and certainly also as a pastor of souls, it is possible for them to to shipwreck that office, uh, to to have acted inappropriately, to even be removed from that office. And yet it doesn't take away their actions that are appropriate in that office. Um, we want to drive this point home uh, for anybody who's ever found themselves in this situation of a shepherd that proved to act as a hireling. Uh, when they act according to the Lord's word, the Lord is powerful in that word to do it. Uh, remember the great prayer that gives us these ministers in the first place. It's the Lord's harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. He sees to sending, and he sees to the to the gathering, to the work. Um, uh, so it doesn't depend on the people. It doesn't depend on Peter being first. It doesn't depend on Matthew's personal character. In fact, he has this ministry by grace as his epithet, the tax collector, reminds us. And while Judas uh, sadly fell from his task, um, he still uh, was one of them. And, and to this day, we have to number him among the twelve. So these 12, Jesus sends out, and he begins his instructions in verse 5. And the first instruction he gives them is where to go. He doesn't say, he doesn't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why that select audience? Yeah, my confirmation verse, uh, uh, Romans 1.16, that uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And we forget the last part, first for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. And that ordering is not only true in the broad chronology of the scriptures that, that God singles out his Old Testament people, Israel, uh, through whom all nations are blessed, uh, but we see that in Jesus' immediate work here uh, uh, in, we might say, the foundation of the church uh, in his work on earth and then in the sending out of his church uh, to preach the gospel to the whole world. Um, Remember also the number of these apostles and what that signifies. Twelve apostles, just like there were twelve tribes of Israel. And and these are the ones who are going to go and to do what? Take care of the sheep that had no true shepherds. Bring in the harvest. Uh, they're here to restore the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that's exactly what Jesus says. Um, so it starts there. Uh, and it's then a bit of a surprise, I suppose, in a sense, unless you've been reading Isaiah. Look at what Paul says in Galatians to flesh that out better. But just to see that it starts still at Israel, but then, of course, it does expand after the death and resurrection of Jesus to all in Jesus. We, we've already seen hints of that in Matthew's gospel. The the Magi at the very beginning there in chapter 2 stand as one of the prime examples where, where already it's reaching the Gentiles. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4, you have an Isaiah quotation where where the, the light begins to shine there in Galilee of the Gentiles. So it, it, it's not, it's not, it shouldn't be too much of a surprise when at the end of the gospel you get go into to every nation, make disciples of all nations. But here, as you said, the, the focus is going to be on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is the, the 
trajectory of Scripture, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And so Jesus sends them to the lost sheep, which that, that that's a little surprising, perhaps, that these Israelites are, are lost sheep. They, they, too, need to repent and believe. And so Jesus sends his disciples out to, to do what, Pastor Nanzer? Uh, a whole list of things. Uh, I suppose if you want to look at the verbs, we have go, we have preach, we have heal, raise, cleanse, cast out. Uh, and, and preach is early, uh, but I don't know, it's hard for a preacher not to always think that his preaching is the most important thing. Uh, on the other hand, we see that it is the word that does it. And, and in a bit, we're going to hear about the word um, that is bringing peace, right? And this is what Jesus was doing. He was going and teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and what comes with that, all of these physical healings as well. Uh, maybe a way to say what we preach, the word of God, isn't only something that goes in one ear and out the other and has no effect on people or is lying dormant waiting for us to bring it to life. Oh, no. The Word of God is powerful, it's living and active, as the Scriptures say, and it goes and it accomplishes what it's sent for. And what it's sent to do here is is to bring the kingdom of heaven right to us. That's what Jesus does when he's present there as the Word incarnate. And that's what he's now going to have his apostles bring to these lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yeah, the, the message that Jesus gives them in verse 7 is the same thing that John came preaching, the same thing that he's been preaching. This is the now the third time that we've heard this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as you said, where that, where that word is proclaimed, it is powerful, it is active to do what God says. And that includes the restoration of, of creation that has been twisted by sin. Jesus comes and, and he begins to heal, and now he sends these 12 out with that same word, and that word continues to be effective in these same ways. What what about the provisions that Jesus sends them with? This sounds, I mean, if I was going to take a trip, <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't pack like this, but but Jesus commands his apostles to pack in a very particular way. Yeah, uh, it's a way where you're not worried about what's going to happen to you. Probably have to think back to the, to the, uh, Sermon on the Mount a little, where we're not to take concern uh, for what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear. And that's exactly what we see for the apostles, too. Uh, one, it means that they're to have faith in God for their ministry. And that is something that preachers today still need to keep in mind. Uh, they serve their master who sent them. They serve Christ. Who is their trust supposed to be in? It's in Christ, the one who sent them. It's in the Lord of the harvest who's going to see that the harvest is brought in. Uh, the other side of it is, where does their uh, support, which of course comes from God, where does that actually meet them? And it is the Lord's desire that those who make their living by the gospel, those whose living is the gospel, have their living by the gospel, to paraphrase St. Paul. Um, the laborer is worthy of his wage. He's, he deserves his food. Uh, it is those who hear the word of God who are going to take care of those who preach the word of God. And as we'll see in a second, that leads to something we might not be quite as comfortable with, but just the reality that, that in fact, when you meet somebody who's bringing you the word of God, in a sense, the way you, the way you respond to them is the way you are responding to Christ in a very dramatic way that uh, uh, to reject their word is not just to say, well, I don't have time for you, buddy. I don't like your hair. I don't like your eyes or whatever. But it is, in fact, to reject the Lord's word. Yeah, to this, this, these words from Jesus not only have something to say to those who proclaim the gospel to the twelve, but in there, there is also some words to how we would receive the gospel. And we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO, looking at the first part of Matthew chapter 10. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Hi, 
I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. You can help us continue to get that message out around the globe while there's still time. One way is to become a church or organization of the week. For a gift of just $595, your church will receive 35 30-second announcements during the week of your choice, identifying your church as well as upcoming events and happenings. And your pastor or a representative from your church, they may record those announcements or we can produce them ourselves either way. In addition, your pastor or representative will have the opportunity to be on one of KFUO's programs. It's a wonderful way to expand your mission outreach and to help KFUO Radio to do the same. For further information, call me, Mark, at 314-996-1520 or mark.hawkinson at kfuo.org. Websites selling binary options claim they are low-cost, high-reward investments. What they don't tell you is that binary options are high-risk bets where the odds are stacked against you, that withdrawing money is often almost impossible, and the representatives will contact you with intense sales tactics or even threats. Protect yourself. Don't let anyone pressure you into making investments or quick decisions. Visit MissouriProtectsInvestors.com to learn more. Paid for by the Missouri Secretary of State's Investor Education and Protection Fund. The goal of the Epiphany season is to explain more fully the purpose and mission of Jesus Christ. On the next Law and Gospel, which is an open mic Friday, you can call me, Tom Baker, with any theological question on that subject. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Friday, February 7th. We're studying Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 23 with Pastor Sean Danzer, the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and also the Chaplain for the International Center. Pastor Danzer, prior to the break, we, we were looking at the provisions that Jesus sends his 12 with, and they're not going to take things with them because they're going to react. People are going to be there in those towns that they go to, and people are going to react to them. They're going to, they're, some of them at least, are going to support them. So, so start taking us into verses 11 and following as Jesus tells the disciples what they're going to face when they go into these various towns. Maybe the first part is to say there's a word that's that's frustrating to me at least. Uh, we're going to find out who's worthy in these towns. Uh, yeah, I don't like that word either. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, because you got the well, it it just strikes our ears as as odd, and and for me at least, because I mean, my mind goes to, and maybe this is where we should go to that very last question in the sacrament on the altar on the in the catechism. You know, what does it mean to receive the sacrament worthily? And Luther tells us, right, what does it mean to be worthy? Well, it means to have faith. And maybe that's a spoiler alert. I don't know. But but yeah, that word worthy does does strike at least my Lutheran ears as a, as a bit off. What? How do we need to understand that, Pastor Tanzer? Yeah, I'm sure you've gone on, on visits to your members' houses, and uh, you've got that great member, and it's usually a nice old lady. And what does she do? She she has to have the coffee ready. She has to have the pie, cookies, you know, more than any pastor could eat. And definitely they should eat. And those are the worthy houses, I suppose, right? It all depends on how you lay the spread out for the pastor when he comes. Uh, and it, sometimes I think, oh, my goodness, you spent, you spent the whole week just getting prepared for me to come over and, you know, say one little prayer with you uh, that you have a good day or something, Uh you really didn't have to go to all that trouble. Uh, and I suppose on the other side of it, I get worried. Do they think they have to do this or or they don't love God? Are, are they setting, Are they being a little too Martha and uh, you really just want them to be Mary sitting and hearing the word of Jesus and trusting in that? Uh, but but I think what Jesus goes on to, to talk about, how will you know the worthiness is there? Is the peace is going to come upon this person? They're going to be receivers of peace. Uh, going back to the fact that this is only the people of the house of Israel. And and now this isn't in Matthew's gospel, but it certainly is in the other gospels, how Jesus is playing on the fact that this is Jerusalem. This is This is the city of peace, the peace of the Jews, and they don't even recognize it. Uh, they they can't see when they're slaves to the Roman people. 
they can't see that Jesus, that the point of the temple is the Christ who would come. They, they don't know peace when it comes to them. Uh, he himself is the great uh, divider and the great one who, who shows who is worthy. But the, but the disciples, as they go out, are going to reveal this as well. And yet it's not found in, in you know, how much they do to provide for them. That'll be there. That always goes with receiving peace, and it makes you joyful, and it makes you step up to serve and to, and to love and, and to care for those who brought you this great peace. Uh, but but it, I would connect the worthiness to the fact that some throw it back in the disciples' face. I don't want that. You, I don't need your peace. I'm at peace already. What are you implying, right? Uh, or to to go from what uh, Jesus talks about in John with those Pharisees, right? Uh, they say to him, "What do you mean, set us free? We've never been enslaved to anyone." And uh, and, and sadly, that is what enslaves them even more to to reject the freedom, the peace that Jesus Christ alone can give. What what is that peace that we need that some would reject? It is, it is the forgiveness of sins out of which flows every other good and perfect gift. Life and salvation is, as again, to bring up the, oh yeah, there is a connection there, isn't there? To Luther's explanation of the Lord's Supper. That the forgiveness of sins ought never be seen as this tiny little part. You know, well, that's one thing, and then there's billions of other things too. Uh, in fact, maybe we shouldn't waste our time talking about the forgiveness of sins so much. I think it'd be much more helpful for us if we saw that as this foundational peace-giving gift of God uh, in which are found all of the other tremendous gifts. Uh, to, to consider what we said before, the preaching of the kingdom is the primary thing, not to the exclusion of healing, not to the exclusion of raising from death, which sure seems to be our biggest problem that we can't overcome, uh, but but those who've heard this gospel, those who've been, who've received the kingdom, who've who've, who've had it brought to them in Jesus Christ and rejoice to receive it, uh, the logical conclusion of that and, and the certain guarantee they have is that they too will be raised from the dead. Um, so the peace comes in that word, right? Peace given to between God and men in Jesus Christ, which which will will not necessarily mean peace between one man in the next, as Jesus will bring out in the second half of this discourse, which we'll get to on, on Monday, that that the fact that some receive this peace and some don't will actually lead to division. Mm. And, and you start to see that here in, in the words that we've got here in verses 11 through 15. Those who receive this peace, they they greet the 12, they receive the 12 into their own homes, they they provide for the 12, all those things that that Jesus told his disciples, don't bring with you, they'll be provided right then, which I'm, I'm sure that's that's the greeting you received at the International Center this week, right, Pastor <laughs> Danzer? They, they laid out quite the spread for you and plenty of cake and cookies and coffee and all that, right? I did, yeah. <laughs> got the cake. Yeah, good, excellent, excellent. So, Guess so, they were but, worthy. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Good job, KFUO and, and the International Center. So, so but not everybody's going to receive it that way. And and the reaction, well, what, is, what does Jesus say to the to the disciples, how is they how are they to respond to those who don't receive this peace? Surprising words for us, and and really hard ones for for me as a pastor. I think that there is a point where we're not to beg and plead and and hang on and, and be relentless, but the time may come where we're even supposed to shake the dust off our feet. Uh, we don't even want you know their front door, their front yard to come with us. We want that to be left with them uh, to be what the, the dust and the ashes at the end of the world right uh, and and every pastor knows this great difficulty of trying to trying to even know is this the time I need to be dogged and, and continue to preach the Word of God to this person and to beg them uh, to plead with them or is this the time where I actually have to step away and say there's judgment here um, and and remind them of that judgment and say something like like Jesus does here, right? That in fact, Sodom and Gomorrah have it easy compared to what you, what is stored up for you uh, if you continue down this path. 
Now, these are agonizing things uh, for pastors, and, and not only for pastors. Every Christian knows this, uh, who's ever had a friend uh, who they love, and they want the Word of God. They want the peace of Christ to dwell richly in them, and yet it it it, it doesn't. It returns empty to you, right? It, it, it doesn't stick. It's painful. It is. It, uh, yeah, for pastors, for, for parishioners, for those who's own family members. I mean, that's Jesus is going to bring that out in a second, right? That that even your own family members will not receive this news. And and that is where the rubber hits the road and becomes very, very painful to know that that these words from Jesus are true and yet have that great desire that that they would receive this peace. And and it is a it's a it's a heart-wrenching thing for for a pastor or for for a Christian to to have to think through that, to to maybe even say that to to a, a dearly loved one and perhaps that's that's where Jesus then moves as he he lets the 12 know that that this this sort of rejection is maybe a little more common right i, I mean he says i'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves that's not a it's not a friendly territory that he's that he's sending them to, is it? No. Uh, um, before we miss it, too, notice it's not about the cake and the reception that they gave you. It's not. That's right. not the painful thing. It's the rejecting of the words, not not receiving right. you or listening to your words. Uh, that's what leads to the judgment. Um, and and that's then, I think, why it is so fitting that it's it's sheep. It's not wolves. Right. This isn't a this isn't a Wall Street game. We're not supposed to be sharks out there, uh, you know, making great uh, achievements or or uh, swindling people into this peace of Christ or something. No, we are sheep. We are those uh, who who belong to the shepherd ourselves, uh, and all we have is a word. Um, uh, it's not to be as vicious as serpents. Uh, and to be as sneaky as doves or something. Uh, these are these are words we hear, we know, we know these images. Uh, these are common uh, co- contrasts. Serpents and doves are opposite. Uh, sheep and wolves are opposite and even opposed to each other. But it is still hard for our flesh to grasp that we're the meek ones. We're not the strong ones. We're you know we really want to be the sheep that are still winning, uh, and that's not exactly the way Jesus puts it at all. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No. This is a. This is different than the picture that the world would paint for us. The the one thing that does stand out. I mean, when he says, "Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves," I, I think it's sometimes translated "shrewd as serpents." What that that image particular is the one that doesn't seem to quite fit. To to be a sheep, to be a dove, those are very similar ideas. But what is what's this contrast that Jesus is drawing when he tells his twelve? be wise like a serpent what's that what's that comparison and to be innocent like a dove what's that comparison what's he what's the picture he's painting here i think there's a way in when you face danger you can receive it as a panic think of what peter says in his epistle he says you know when you have all these crosses and sufferings come upon you don't be surprised as if you know something strange were happening to you rather you should actually rejoice uh, that you're sharing in christ's sufferings but but there's a way in which we can get caught off guard. That's not the way a snake is. You know, a snake a snake stares down its prey. It, it it might back off slightly, but it never loses its connection. Maybe it's just in the eyes with with what it's intending to strike on. I, Jesus didn't use this one, but a praying mantis does the same thing. You know, they bob back and forth, but they never lose that connection, and finally they snap. Right. Uh, that's the way we're to be. And we're not just to be flighty. Uh, we're not to be wimpy, I suppose you could say, uh, uh, when we see suffering come. And, you know, this comes as a convicting word to me, and I think it does to everybody, because we can be incredibly wimpy. Uh, we, You know, the Lord says we should suffer even death, and, and we all promised, I think, a confirmation to suffer all, including death, rather than fall away. And yet sometimes minor inconveniences are the hardest things for us to to remain steadfast against uh we give up so easily in some ways um so much that it seems somehow dying for jesus well i'd be able to handle that no problem you know but waking up sunday morning sometimes is the hardest battle (laughs) yikes yeah yeah so so the idea maybe of of being wise as serpents innocent as doves is, is be ready for what's coming don't don't be surprised at what's coming be ready for it be ready to face it 
and, and face it in such a way that that you know who's who's got you right i mean who who's providing for you all along the same one who who sent you to that house that's going to receive you and provide for you he's going to take care of you even as you're being persecuted so so why is a serpent innocent as doves and not tricky and, though like a serpent right we're not right. the craftiest of the animals that god made we're not shysters uh one of my favorite things that saint paul said right uh, we are not like so many peddlers of the word of god for profit. We commend ourselves to you in honesty, in truth, in forthrightness. You know, here's a, a straightforward presentation of the truth, an amazing truth, a, a miraculous truth, but not a trick. So Jesus then says, beware of men. It gets a little more direct in verse 17. What What's the picture that Jesus paints for his apostles as they go out? What are they going to face? What we've seen in almost every government of almost every age. Certainly the early church, the martyrs, uh, think of Nero, think of others in the Roman Empire. Think now of those in China, in Africa, in other places who will, uh, whether they're the governors, whether they're the kings, or we know since it's happening in the synagogues, even church rulers, even those who sit in Moses' seat, uh, are going to attack this gospel. And of course, the first person that this happens to is Jesus himself. What, is, what does Jesus say in John, right? If they've done this to me, uh, you can expect they're going to do this to you. Uh, or as we'll hear, uh, I think tomorrow, right? A disciple is not above his teacher, servant not above his master. Um, so we, we see all of this happen with it really in Jesus' passion, right? Uh, first, he's brought before Caiaphas and Annas. He even gets flogged. And then he's brought before Pilate, right? Uh, and, and he stands there, and what does he say in John's Gospel, right? Uh, to bear witness to the truth was the whole point uh, of me coming. Uh, but the very same thing then is going to happen to the ones that Jesus himself sends out. Um, but they are going to be spoken against, and the word that they bring, the preaching, with all of its tremendous salvific uh, effects, that is still going to be a word that is opposed in this world. And yet, even as it is a word that is opposed and rejected by men, yet that word is still going to be powerful. And, and that's one of the things I see coming through here with, with Jesus is even as he's saying, look, watch out for these guys. They're going to they're gonna do these things to you. Yet it's it's for his sake that it's going to happen. And they're still going to bear witness. And I think it's it's quite something there in verse 18. Notice that bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So so even though they weren't sent to the Gentiles right away, right? They're going to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This word is still going to make it to the Gentiles. And, and the persecution itself is going to be part of the Lord's work to get that word out. Which, I mean, and, and man, we could look through the book of Acts and see how that plays itself out in, in history. So even as there's these words of, of warning, beware from Jesus, yet there's still great, great promise with them, uh, within them as well. Yeah, there, there is a way that Christian martyrdom and Christian confessing that is suffering but not to the point of death is even the Gentiles, even the people who don't buy it, even, you know, Stoics who, who think we cry too much or something, like uh, Marcus Aurelius said, that, you know, they there's still a begrudging admiration that is there look at look at how these people die uh, you know or look at how much they love each other or look at how look they're stubborn you know <laughs> but they're stubborn not in getting their own way they're stubborn in in bearing witness to the truth and they're even stubborn through suffering and death you could say a lot of things about that but you can't accuse it of being wishy-washy. You can't accuse it of being weak. Uh, and you have to say, what's going on here? Or like the centurion says, right? Uh, boy, this was a righteous man. What's going on? So as the, as the disciples are brought before these governors and kings bearing witness before the Gentiles, Jesus tells his disciples, don't be afraid. Don't, don't even worry about what you're going to say. How are they going to, to receive the words that they will say at that moment? Yeah, I think here's wise as serpents and innocents as doves being played out. Uh, and they're to be confident uh, that God himself is going to do the speaking. We have a marvelous little Trinitarian explanation here. It's not you who speak, but it's the spirit of your father 
speaking through you, and that just a little bit after that, all this is going to happen for my name's sake. That's why you're going to be hated. That, of course, is the one who sent you and whose word you bring. I think we ought to see this echoing again, what we heard before, that it is the Lord's harvest, that he's the shepherd of his sheep, and that when he sends his disciples out, his his apostles out, and, and even to this day, any preacher or any Christian who's out there suffering and, and, and speaking the word of God and refusing to be anxious or to be swayed away from it, uh, it's his words that are going to win over. Again, it doesn't have to be their great accomplishment. It doesn't even have to be their great eloquence. Uh, but it is going to be the simple presentation of the truth of Jesus Christ that's going to accomplish it. And, and the Lord will see that that gets out there, even if it gets out there through their death, as you said so well. So Jesus, again, I mean, he's going back and forth, right? The, the reality of the persecution is is upfront and center your own family is going to to hand you over to death but the promise is there the whole time as well and one of those those fantastic promises that Jesus makes is the one who endures to the end will be saved what what's the promise from Jesus there pastor danger i love box cantata where he you know he starts off with a very sad thing about uh whining and and lamenting and weeping crying anxiety these are the daily bread of a christian uh, but then he says, eh, but those are the marks of Jesus, right? The Holy Cross is the mark of Jesus. That's what marks us. Uh, yeah, we're going to see it, and we're going to suffer. We're going to be ground up in this meat grinder of, of cross and suffering. But every, at every moment, then, we are even more certain that we belong to him, who, who, uh, that they are themselves the marks that we belong to him, that cross and crown are joined uh, and that we then take those things, the, the 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 attacks of our opponents, even as encouragement and further uh, confidence that that we're going to stick with it, uh, that we're going to endure. It it becomes to us a source of endurance. So this endurance to the end, then, and, and this last verse that we've got for today, a couple of questions here. First, you know, Jesus says, when they persecute you in one town flee to the next at at what at what point does that i mean on the one hand they're going to be arrested they're going to be brought before kings there's this sense of stand up don't don't back down keep preaching the truth even if they kill you here you've got this well if they persecute you flee what how do they know when when to do which i mean what's what's going on with that Hmm. I think that's tricky. I, I, I do think that's a hard thing to know. This is why we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom. Uh, God says pray for the things we need, uh, and every minister in particular, uh, but even every Christian at this point, it, it, the more persecuted anyone becomes or, or the, the more Christianity becomes a minority in a place again, I think it moves away from just the ministers who you might expect to be the front line, really to all Christians. And and this is certainly the thing I've always heard my own members and, and my friends asking is, how do you know when? How do you know what I do in this situation? When do I try and, you know, argue and when do I just sit and bear it as a cross? And it will take great wisdom to know this. Uh, it might be worth it to see, though, that I think this is part of the the continuance, the the refusal to let anxiety sway us. Uh, the, the confidence that then leads to boldness, that even if we're pushed out of one place, we're to let the gospel go and, and sound forth again. Again, sometimes we have to shake the dust off our feet and say, okay, it, we've, we've, we'll let them have what they want here. But uh, elsewhere, we're going to continue to preach that gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've seen this throughout history. Uh, Luther's great comment about, well, we saw it in the Middle East, but there's no Christians there anymore. Now the Christianity has come to Germany, but who knows if it'll stay there forever. We might be saying the same thing here in the United States, but there's always Africa, there's China, and uh, and we should not be ashamed to let the gospel sound forth there, even if it doesn't sound forth here anymore. So, right, the, the fleeing then isn't so much a, a running away from trouble as it is a, a recognition that the word has sounded forth here. It's been rejected that word still needs to be preached everywhere. And so as you go then, go from one persecution, you're going to keep preaching the word elsewhere. 
and and then it seems Jesus directs our attention toward the end. He, he talks about the the words going to go through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Is is there some end times view there, or is something else going on? <laughs> I think it always has both in view. Uh, interesting. Paul, of course, says that the that the word of the gospel after the resurrection had gone out to the whole world, which I think can be a bit of a comfort to us. Uh, but cert, but this the Son of Man is coming not only at the last day, but at the end of this gospel, he's coming into Jerusalem. He's coming into his kingdom. He's coming uh, to the cross, uh, and all of Israel is not going to be converted. All of Israel is not even going to perhaps be reached by the apostles before the Son of Man dies on the cross and redeems them. And in a way, that also will be the case uh, at the end of the world. Uh, So what should we focus on? Uh, Our fleeing is not to achieve it by our work. Uh, to convert the whole world, you know, like we we just got to move on because we got to keep pace. It's also not a fleeing to preserve our own life. We didn't even come into this ministry and and set out uh, to make sure that we were taken care of. We know the Lord of the harvest is is the one who's ruling over it all. Uh, but when they move from one place to the next, it's simply for this reason: the word of God goes out to all. Uh, it's for the whole uh, lost house of Israel to bring all 12 tribes back. And, and, and that now is, is still a useful kind of metaphorical thing for us, that the Lord, in fact, wants all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Pastor Sean Danzer is the director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's also the chaplain for the International Center, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. Pastor Danzer, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Jesus sent out his 12 as an answer to the prayer that he had just given. The harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so Jesus answers that prayer by sending the 12 out to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. And because God is reigning, all of the gifts that come with that preaching are delivered. This message is received in faith and, and received by the sign that the messengers are received as well. But there is also rejection. There is also persecution by those who do not receive this peace from Jesus. The judgment for them is terrible. And yet, and yet the word still sounds forth through the persecution. The Lord sends the word out even farther that those who hear and believe would receive the peace that he has, the peace that comes between God and man, the peace of forgiveness of sins that brings salvation and life to all who believe. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.